Good, you're good. Good morning. It's good to get louder. It's good. It's still a good morning. It's good to see people back after celebrating this past week. It's good to see visitors, visiting family members too. <clears throat> sure, people celebrated Christmas different ways. Probably at home hosting where it's safe. Probably traveling, maybe going out and just doing some activities, different ways of celebrating Christmas. But Lou Holtz, the famous Hall of Fame coach for football in the 70s, had to play a football game on Christmas Day. It was in Tempe, Arizona, and it was for a championship game. And he was asked by a reporter the day of the game, how did he feel about having to play on Christmas Day instead of spending time with family and friends. And he responded with this. He said, I would rather be in Tempe. After all, once you've been to church, had Christmas dinner, and opened the presents, Christmas is the most boring day of the year. Obviously, he wasn't being completely serious. Before you begin judging him, he's a very devout Christian. He's a motivational speaker, and he obviously has a quick wit. And although he wasn't completely serious about what he just said, or what he said then, he does speak to some truth, though. Because it seems that the joy, the excitement that we've experienced in celebrating the birth of Christ, it can fade. Because people experience a Christmas hangover. The post-Christmas blues, if you would. Because now that Christmas is over, that means vacation is over, or soon to be over. That means family and friends are going to go away for school or for work, and we're not going to see them for a while. Yes, it was exciting making those purchases and seeing our family and friends open those presents, but now we got to make the credit card payments for those gifts. The Christmas concerts and plays are over now. Whether we attended, whether we had a part in those concerts and plays, it's over. And pretty soon, the decorations will come down. A week from tomorrow, the decorations will come down here too. Shameless plug. And it seems that it's fair to say that many people, the excitement that they experience in celebrating the birth of Jesus has already begun to fade, even just a little. We've been in a season that emphasizes joy and the hope we find in the birth of Jesus. And it's generated excitement. Pastor Ken spoke about the hope that Jesus brings in, in our lives. Pastor John has spoken about the joy that the birth of Jesus brings into our lives. And so the question for this Sabbath is that now that Christmas has passed... Will the joy and hope we experienced as we celebrated the birth of Christ, will that joy and hope fade? Will our faith experience boredom now that Christmas has passed? And it's a, it's a strange question to ask, right? 
because it kind of implies that the joy and hope does fade. And it's even more ironic because when you look at the story, at the events that took place soon after the birth of Jesus, they were anything but boring. There was so much activity, so much movement that took place, and God was already at work in the lives of the people. After Jesus was born is when we're introduced to the Magi. They went to Jerusalem asking a question, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We have come to worship him. We see that they ended up going before Herod, somebody who did evil things to God's people. They're before Herod, and eventually they find Jesus, and they do just that. They worship the king. They bring him gifts. And we read on and find out that in a dream, they were told, don't go back to Herod. Go back a different way. In Luke, we're introduced to the shepherds after Jesus is born. The shepherds are going about their business at night, and the angel appears saying, Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. In Matthew, it reads, in Luke, it says, This will be the sign to you. Hey, shepherds, listen up. This will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Shepherds, when you see a baby in a manger, that equals the Savior. Readers and hearers of the word, when you see a baby lying in the manger, know that that is the Savior. That is the sign. And you see that the shepherds went there and then all of a sudden they went proclaiming what they had just witnessed to the people around them. And it describes them as going home, going back, glorifying and praising God for what they had just witnessed. The gospel writers in Luke and Matthew are making a very simple point. That Jesus was king and savior from the very beginning. Before the resurrection that proved that he was victorious. Before the crucifixion where it showed how he bore our sins. And even before the baptism after which his ministry began. Jesus was king and savior. The events that took place soon after the birth of Jesus were anything but boring. And this is also true for Joseph. When you look at the life of Joseph, boredom is nowhere to be found. Joseph is somebody who we never hear speak in the Gospels. Not once do you hear him speak. What you do read about is what he did. And in particular, you see what he did after dreams. In Matthew, Matthew emphasizes dreams. It's found six times in Matthew, and four of those dreams regard Joseph. The first dream took place before Jesus was born, when it said that he was considering divorcing Mary in secret. And in the dream, there was a message from God that was told to, take, to not be afraid and to take Mary home as your wife. She will give birth to a son named Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. Verse 23 says, that, and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. The first dream describes that Jesus 
is Emmanuel, God with us. And after Jesus is born, it gets really interesting. It gets really interesting for Joseph because the shepherds have already come. They've already went back home praising God. The Magi already came with their gifts and worship, and they left from a different route. But now, Herod is angry. He's furious. And the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream. And the angel says, get up. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. We know Herod was ruthless. We know he would do anything to preserve his power. He killed his wife and two of his sons in order to preserve his power. We know that there is danger. And it makes no sense because Joseph, after that message is said to get up, take the child and his wife and go to Egypt, it says that Joseph got up, took the child and his mother and went to Egypt. It makes no sense. They left Nazareth to go to Bethlehem, not so Jesus could be born. Not go to Bethlehem and then on the way go to Egypt. They went to Bethlehem because of a census. And they're told they have to leave. The king of kings has to flee because another king is trying to kill him. It makes no sense, especially to us as the readers and hearers of the word, because we see the picture of Jesus as a homeless refugee whose life is in danger. But the gospel writers want us to know that although he was a homeless refugee whose life was in danger, he was still king, savior, and definitely Emmanuel. After they stayed in Egypt for a while, he receives a third dream. And in the dream, he says, get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. Get up and move. My wife and I moved like about a month ago. And if you've moved, you know that there's a level of stress that goes along with moving. Whether you have a lot of stuff or a little bit. There's excitement like, we're moving, and then all of a sudden you're in the middle of it. We are never moving again, you got that? Whether you're living, you're going to be moving to a place that's 10 minutes away or just a different state, it, it carries a toll. Moving means saying goodbye to people. It means finding new places to be. It means probably the most difficult thing to do is finding a new community that you connect with and relate with. Joseph is told in a dream to move yet again. But it continues, and it says that he got up and he went. And on the way, he receives a fourth and final dream. A fourth and final dream. And it says that they, when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And I don't blame him. Archelaus was a guy who, during Passover, went to the temple and killed 3,000 Jews one time. I would be afraid too, Joseph. I could relate. And it says that on their way, the dream told them to with, having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. Finally, to Nazareth. 
There's so much activity, there's so much movement in the story, in the events soon after the birth of Jesus. And good things happen when Joseph had a dream. Exciting things happen, even though he did nothing heroic. There was nothing strategic about what he did. He simply responded to what God was calling him to do. In all four dreams, God had a message for him. Take Mary as your wife. Get up and go. And in all four of the dreams, it describes that he did exactly what God was calling him to do. He took Mary as his wife. He got up and took his family. All the turning points in this story, all the moments of hope, all the cause for celebration was initiated by God. Good things happen when we respond to what God is calling us to do. This applies to a place, an organization called Homeboy Industries. Some of you may have heard of Father Greg Boyle. There's an incredible ministry in LA. I know we, we got a book recommended, Tattoos of the Heart. It's a great book and tells all the experiences that go on there. And it deals with a community that is their gang members, former gang members. And th this ministry it wants to provide jobs, education, and just a transition back into society. And years ago, they began this, and now they've reached over 120,000 gang members or former gang members. They provide tattoo removal. They have bakeries. They have different businesses that help people transition into society. When they get out of prison, many of them go to Homeboy Industries to get back on their feet. If they're in the streets, they go to Homeboy Industries because they want a change, and he provides all kinds of things for them. Because Father Greg Boyle said that what caused all of this was a question. What if we were to invest in this population rather than to just endlessly incarcerate them? That question was promoted, was prompted because he was being called to do something else. A few years ago at La Sierra University, he came to speak. He went to speak, and there was a Q&A after. There was questions about homeboy industries and about what's taking place there. Somebody raises their hand and asks them, so what is your success rate? You know that question, right? How many of them don't go back to prison? How many of them get a degree? How many of them stop violence, gang activity? What is your success rate? And Father Greg Boyle, or Father B, as the homies call him, responded, 100%. Whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. The guy asked the question again. Well, that's, I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Uh, what's your success rate? Like, how many of them don't stop gang activity? How many of them go back to prison? He's like, we have a 100% success rate. Okay, maybe you don't understand. And he asked the question again, what is your success rate? And he just cuts them off and he said, you know what, we're 100% successful because we're 100% faithful. That was the standard he made for himself and the organization. It wasn't something to be strategic about or heroic. It was something to respond to. Exciting things happen. Good things happen when we respond to what God is calling us to do. It is anything but boring. For Joseph, it brought excitement and good things, but it also meant 
that plans changed. I'm pretty sure Joseph didn't anticipate marrying somebody who was already pregnant with a child that was not of his own. His plans changed when he went to Bethlehem. He thought he was just going for a census. He didn't give a chance to go home to give a proper goodbye. He went to Egypt and he moved not once, but twice. His plans changed. In life, plans change, period. We're at the end of the year. I'm sure you can look back at what happened around the world. We witnessed something this year that hadn't happened in 600 years. A living pope stepped down and another pope was appointed. It changed for many people. We saw a typhoon hit the Philippines and killed over 6,000 people and almost 2,000 people are still missing. It changed the plans for many people. If we look at our own life, I'm sure we assess this past year and probably what stands out the most are the times where our plans changed. Some of us weren't planning on living in this area, much less being part of this church community. Some of us have had to make adjustments to family dynamics that we were not planning for at the beginning of the year. Some of us thought we were that much closer to a promotion or retirement. And plans have changed. And as we begin a new year, as we begin setting goals for 2014, making priorities for 2014, it seems wise and appropriate that we should also approach that year anticipating that our plans will change. And it is all the more reason for us to hold on to the joy and hope in the birth of Jesus, because plans will change. The gospel writers made it clear, plans change for Joseph, but they also told us as the readers and hearers of the word, and most importantly, believers and followers of Christ, that there is still a constant. Three of the, after three of the four dreams, it specifically said that it was done to fulfill prophecy. It said, to take, this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. First dream, that they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. That out of Egypt I called my son. It was fulfilled because it said that he will be called Nazarene. The Gospels, and in particular Matthew, wants to make it very clear that Jesus is fulfilling Scripture. And if you move to chapter 16, where Jesus is no longer a baby or a child, he's a grown man now. He's not hiding. Now he's going from town to town causing commotion. He's not helpless. He's helping people. He's not fleeing, but people are following him. And you see him in chapter 16, surrounded by his disciples. And he asked Peter a simple question in verse 15. Who do you say I am? And Peter responds, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the anointed one. You're the one we've been reading about. You're the one we've been expecting. And then Jesus replies to him, On this rock, I will build my church. 
and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You're right, Peter. You know what? Nothing will ever change that. Matthew is saying, from the very beginning, Jesus was king, savior, Emmanuel. But guess what? Nothing will ever change the fact that he is also Messiah. That will never change. The events that took place soon after the birth of Jesus are anything but boring, and neither will our lives. Our plans will change, and when they do, remember that Jesus is still king. When God calls you to move, not just geographically, when he calls you to move to something beyond yourself, something that involves then more people than just you and your family. If he calls you to something more, respond because he is also Emmanuel. When you're feeling pushed out and attacked, when you're feeling bombarded by life, remember that although Jesus was a homeless refugee whose life was in danger, he was still king, savior, and Emmanuel. Who Jesus is brings joy and hope. And it's a joy and hope that is worth holding on to. Let's pray. God, we are overwhelmed as to who you are, as to what it means to call you king and savior to how encouraging it is to know that you are God with us. That in the times of need, in the times of uncertainty and change, you are still the Messiah, and nothing will ever change that. May we continue celebrating not just your birth, but the life we have in you. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.